Fantastic stuff. All right, let me go to our text message. Where is it? It is right here. Waiting for, okay, American religious beliefs the Jesuits are at work again. We're told that every remnant of the Constitution and republicanism will be discarded. Very dark days in front of us, but God is still in charge. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take issue with this, just because I can. I, I take issue with it. Oh, you do? Yeah. Where, where do you take issue? Well, uh, can you read it again? Uh, the, the last line in particular. Oh, very dark days in front of us, but God is still in charge. No, the the, the previous line. Uh, that every remnant of the Constitution and republicanism, republicanism will be discarded. Yes, that one. That one? Yeah. Why? I, I, I don't know. I'm just like... You just want to take issue with it? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to take issue with... Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to raise up a, uh, a, a thorny subject here, and that is the issue of the Jesuits. Oh, okay. Because here's what I'm going to say. Every time something goes badly as far as religious liberty, separation of church and state, and these kinds of issues uh, happen we tend to blame the Jesuits. Now, from my research, there are a lot of organizations that are involved in doing these things, and the Jesuits are only one of them. Mm. This is my opinion from my research and from my study of history. My opinion is the Jesuits are actually doing a lot less now than they were before, say 100 years ago and even 200 years ago. And the reason being is that they did their work so well back then. Mm. So they were probably the primary organization that has set up and created the foundation for what everyone is doing on their behalf today. That's right. So they don't have to do anything. Why would they be out front doing all kinds of stuff and getting their fingers dirty when they don't have to? They just sit back and watch it all happen. It's like we set this up 200 years ago and now it's just all taking place. Yeah, oh, that's so my true. opinion. I could be wrong. It's just my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to take issue with that um, and say that you're wrong on okay. the grounds that um, I believe that your research is faulty. Okay. I, yes. now, I now I can't give any evidence for that, and you can take issue with what I said. Uh huh. But if we're going to spout out opinions, we may as well sit here and spout <laughs> out opinions. <laughs> You know, even back even back in the day, there was, you know, you've had a quite a, if, if you go back 200 years, if you go back 150 years, your number of globalist organizations that actually existed around the world, um, you know, things like your, your, you know, your Bilderbergers, your Council on Foreign Relations, your, um, uh, let me think here, the Illuminati, the, you can go back to the Knights Templar if you want to, uh, Freemasons and so forth, uh, we could, we could, Trilateral Commission. We could go on and on and on talking about different uh, globalist organisations that have existed down through history, and all of them have worked towards a common goal. Mm. Well, a relatively common goal, I should say. Mm. They've all had similarities because they've all had globalisation in mind. Yes. And they've worked at it from different perspectives. So, Mm. you know, the Jesuit organisation has worked at it from the perspective of education. Yes. Oh, do we see education impacting our world right now? Yeah, wow. Wow. Mm. Just wow. Look at what the universities are doing. Um, but is that because those universities are run by Jesuits? No. Because they built the foundations for it 200 years ago. They don't need to be. That's right. They, they set the ball rolling and then and now they're just standing back and watching it roll. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. 
and you've got other organisations, you know, they're working in the areas of finance, other organisations working in the areas of politics, uh, and but all of these organisations are working towards the fulfilment of Bible prophecy. And, you know, I've got a number of relatives who are, you know, quite anti-God, anti-the Bible, that kind of thing. And what fascinates me is the more the antis do in relationship to God and the Bible, the more they prove it right, the more yeah, they fulfill, wow. fulfill prophecy. Mm. All right, let's get on to our Bible study right now. I'm sure I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna get some text messages. The on this. I'm gonna stir the pot this morning, but that's what that's what the breakfast shows for. Sometimes we that's right. It's our platform. That's right. <laughs> Let's stir the pot a little bit. Let's get into our Bible study. Let's see what the Bible has to say. Uh, let's go to Exodus chapter 19, verse 4 and 5. Exodus 19, verse 4 and 5. We read this yesterday. Yeah, I know. We're going to read it again today because we just need to remind ourselves. We're going to use this as our jumping off point because there okay, nice. is a single word here. One word. One word uh-huh. that our entire Bible study is based on. Okay. Go. Exodus chapter 19, verse 4 and 5, the Bible says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. Okay. Do you want to take a guess at what the incredibly important word is in that particular passage? Let's see. I think it's either... It's either covenant. Yeah. Is that it? No. Or obey. No. Or commandment. No. Or special. No. Treasure. No. Earth. No. To me. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's the word if. Oh, that's intense. If. Mm -hmm. The two-letter word. The smallest is, I think it's the smallest word. There's no I in there, is there? The Uh, word if. Yes, okay. there is. Oh, there, there is. is. Okay. There the is. second smallest word in the entire verse is the one that we're going to focus in on this morning. If you obey my covenant, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Mm. Okay, so the question that comes up then is this salvation by works? Because it kind of sounds like salvation by works, doesn't it? Yeah, there's a condition, if, if, right? If you if you obey my covenant, then you'll be, you know, my own special treasure. You'll be a kingdom of priests. You'll be a holy nation. Obviously, you will receive salvation. So therefore, uh, it is all based on obedience, and then that's the only way to get to heaven, right? Well, it sounds like there's a condition here, right? As soon as yes, if if is a yes, you know, creates a condition yes within this context of action, which is making them a special treasure. So. Yeah, it would seem so, like this is some level of condition. So then the question that comes up is this. Uh, If this is, you know, conditional on obedience, then do you have two different standards of salvation in the Bible? Mm. Are Old Testament people saved by works and New Testament people saved by grace? I want to, I want to, I want to follow that up with another question. Okay. Okay, basically, is New Testament like grace? If we're going to make some kind of um, differentiate, or is salvation in general is is receiving salvation conditional based on repentance? Because Ooh. that's a condition, yes, which God calls us to meet in the New Testament. Uh huh. To be able to receive salvation, yes, if you repent, receiving Jesus Christ is a condition. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you've, it's a condition of salvation to give your life to Jesus Christ and confess that he's Lord. Mm-hmm. And so we see another like condition here in the Old Testament. It's obedience. But I'm, Receiving Jesus Christ is obedience. Repentance is obedience. It, and I think this is like the point, right? So, so what you're saying then is that New Testament also teaches salvation by works. But... Is it is it works like? See, I come across people, and it's the weirdest thing at times, right? And and they have this attitude that you know the law was only for the Old Testament. Yeah, right. And that uh, the the implication there is that people in the Old Testament were saved under the law, so therefore they were saved by works. That's right. So the implication then is that there are two standards of salvation, and they're like, oh, we're so thankful that we're under grace and we're not under the law. It's like, okay, so God really hated people in the Old Testament and he loves people in the New Testament. He hated them in the Old Testament. He's like, well, if you want to get saved, you're going to have to keep the law. But now you're in the New Testament, you can go and sin as much as you want. Mm. You just confess Jesus and you're, you're good. And that really puts a, puts a spanner in the works when you read a verse like, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, and what kind of God is that? Yeah. like I mean, Paul expressly preaches against this doctrine using the most strongest, clearest language you can ever imagine in the book of Galatians. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11. Let's head over there. Galatians 3 and verse 11. We're going to talk about uh, works versus grace this morning and what what relationship is obedience to both of them. Mm, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11, the Bible says, So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Okay, so when Paul says, the scripture says, mm-hmm. so so basically Paul says, you know, it, it's, it's clear, it's obvious, no one is justified by keeping the law. No mm. one is made right by keeping the law. No one can be saved by keeping the law. And then he says, this is obvious, this is clear, because the scriptures say, which scriptures is he talking about? Habakkuk 2.4. The only scriptures he had was the Old Testament. Yeah. Paul clearly says that the Old Testament teaches salvation by grace Mm. alone. There's no such thing as people being saved under the law in the Old Testament. Yeah, wow. Paul makes that abundantly clear. You don't get, (laughs) you don't get to turn up in heaven like, oh, Abraham, how did you get here? Oh, I got here under the law. How did you get here? Oh, I got here under grace. I didn't have to do any of that stuff. Mm. You know, I could, I could, I was free to just go sin as much as I wanted to. Yeah, wow. You know, it's the weirdest thing ever. And I do come across Christians who believe this and like, well, you've confessed Jesus Christ, so God has forever removed your power of choice. You can't be lost now. You can lose the you can lose the joy of salvation, but you can't be lost. Yeah, well, I'm like, I, I've I remember coming across a street preacher when this is like a couple of years ago now. Coming across, well, definitely a couple of years ago because you know that a street preach because no one's allowed to be outside. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, I come across a street preacher a couple of years ago and had this very conversation. And because I said, like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm an Adventist, and he kind of stood there accusing me of being some kind of legalist, elitist guy who doesn't believe in salvation and, and all the different stuff. And, and I'm like, okay, so, like, what happens, like, if, if you just don't want to be a Christian anymore? And he's like, oh, that's impossible. I'm like, well, that, that's kind of lame. Like, yeah. wait, so you don't get a choice? You don't have a, you don't have a choice. He's you know? gone. Because I was like, oh, well, you know, like, God gave me this amazing choice and I took it and it's transformed my life. And, you know, Love I get... no longer exists if there is no choice. But yeah, that's the thing. I'm like, oh, wait, so you, if you actively hate God and start preaching against him and all that different stuff, like, are you lost? And he's like, no. And I'm like, well, then what's good about being set? You know, there's just so many questions to come up. And then they take it a step further that's like, oh, but God 
picks who's ch- saved and who's lost, and they get into um, like uh, predestination. Yes, and then it's like no one has ever had the power of choice, and every decision you make is silly, which which makes no sense. Which means there is no love. There's no love. That's right. There is no without the power of choice. There is no such thing as love. And something that you brought up in in the Bible study a couple days ago about how like the reason that they have um, the tree in the beginning is to give them that power of choice. Like that, there, there is, is a restriction, and the moment a restriction exists, the power of choice exists. That's right. It's like there was there is no logical need for a restriction if these people have been destined ordained by God yeah. to be holy. Like. I mean, you think about it, with predestination, what you've got is a situation where God chooses, where God actually creates the majority of people to be burned in hellfire. That's right. That's why he creates the majority of people, is so that he can burn them in hellfire. Yeah, which just, you know, and and it's so crazy when you point that out to people in this position who believe that, Mm -hmm. and it's like, well, we should just be grateful that we've made it, and I'm like, well, then you just hit them with it. Well, how do you know you've made it? What if you're predestined to think you made it, but you didn't actually make it? And then it just it just really unravels. But it's so clear here. Like, there is one standard that God has, um, and that is by being saved through grace, a decision that we make because of the great love that God has extended to us. And that's the beauty of the gospel that he chose. Yes. And then we get to choose back. Indeed. Wow. Okay, so Freco says the law is a gift from God, how can it be works? God's law only helps. So true. It, oh. Rafi says, repentance without Jesus is useless. Who are you repenting to? Mm. Works without faith is useless. It's all about Jesus. Mm. Jesus is the law. Th- that's love that. Well, you know, it was, right there. It was God who told it to Moses, like, you yes. know, Jesus is God. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. All right, so have a, let's have a look at some of these uh, verses that we've got here in our mm. Bible study. Let's dig into it. Um, let's move on. The Bible says, you know, after God says, if you do this, the people say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Mm. Uh, how long did this actually last not, for? Not very long. Not very long. Okay. Not very long. <laughs> so um, we, we find that it failed kind of epically and God acted Kind of strongly in you know his response to it, mm. but let's look at a, f- a few verses in the New Testament. Let's go to Matthew chapter seven, mm. verse twenty-four to twenty-seven. Let's start there. Matthew chapter seven, twenty-four to twenty-seven. 24 to 27. Um, let's read it where the Bible says, as I turn the pages, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on the solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone anyone who hears my teaching and who doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds his house on the sand. When the rain uh, rain comes and floods and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Absolutely. All right, we've got another one coming through. Oh, what is that going on here? This one, uh, Bruce says that... Oh, I've got two comments here from Bruce. In the beginning, God brought light out of darkness. In the end, there's going to be gross darkness, and God will bring light again. Yep, so... And then we've got Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Yes. And then got to work building an ark. Wow. Mm. You know? Grace and works, those two things. You know, imagine if Noah were like, yeah, I've got grace. This is great. I don't need to do anything. 
and and the blood came literally die. <laughs> but coming back to this parable that we're given right here, notice that both men build a house. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Both of them build a house. Mm. Both of them accept Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. but one of them builds it on the rock, mm. and one of them builds it on the sand. Yes, one of them actually obeys what Jesus says and builds on the rock, and the other just builds a house on the sand, and of course it gets washed away. Mm. If you, if you, if you're, if you're, if you're. If your faith in Jesus Christ is not built on obedience to Jesus Christ, you built it on the sand. And this plays out as another condition. Like, if you build your house on the rock, if you build your house on the sand. Yes. Like, we're talking about a choice that Jesus gives us here. Why would Jesus be preaching them parables about their choice to follow him and how they should follow him if, if... it was if it was irrelevant. Back up a few verses there, mm. and let's see what the Bible says. You know, as a prelude to this particular passage here. So let's go to where are we? Matthew chapter seven, and we're going to go back uh, here to verse twenty-one. In verse twenty-one, the Bible says, "Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter." Hey, stop right there for a moment. Not everyone who says, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Wow. Will enter heaven, but only those who what? Do the will of my father. Do the will of my father. Is Jesus Absolutely. a legalist? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next two verses. Next two verses. It continues on. It says, On the judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and performed many miracles in your name. But I'll reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Okay, Rafi texts in to say, Adam and Eve were predestined to live forever, but they disobeyed God. Mm. Wow. They chose to disobey mm. because they had the power of choice. Wow. They were predestined to live forever, but they chose to disobey. Okay, let's go to John chapter 14 and verse 15. You should be able to do this one off by heart. If you love me. Keep my commandments. And this really summarizes the relationship between Grace and works. Mm. And here's the, here's the important point that so many people miss. Works has nothing to do with what you do. Mm. It has no relationship to it whatsoever at all. There are lots of people who do some kind of weird things as Christians. You know, I look at it and go, that's, that's kind of odd. That's kind of weird. That's a bit different. And... To me, it's just like, well, these people are being saved by works. You can never know that because works has nothing to do with what you do. Works is only about why you do what you do. Mm. That's the only thing that it's about. And so if you are doing what you do to get saved, that's salvation by works. If you are doing it because you are saved, that's grace. That's simply a response to grace. And some people are like, you know, I'm going to you know, do this and that and the other uh, as a response to grace. Great. Do that. That's fantastic if you are responding to God's grace. Let's listen to a little bit of Balsam Range this morning. Uh, this is Grit and Grace. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. But uh, Christopher has uh, texted in in relationship to our story about beans. This is uh, Lyle. Uh, seeming you, seemingly you live close to Queensland. Have you heard that baked beans are moving to Queensland? What? 
Yeah, baked beans are moving to Queensland. So, oh, like the because place where they, they produce be, it? Because they like to live in cans. Lars <laughs> 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 is just dying over here. It's like the worst. <laughs> that is ever. so bad. That is so. I took my headset off and like moved away from the mic because that was so. Terrible. <laughs> I think that I think the award goes out to Christopher this morning for the worst joke of the and year. And you don't think it sucked me in? I was like, "Oh, really? Are they like moving the factory?" Up there? <laughs> That's the best. When he ever. said we live close to Queensland, I'm like, "Not really." It's like Newcastle. Newcastle. Oh, that was so bad. Uh, that dude. hurt. That really. Like, <laughs> Christopher, you have brought joy to our morning. That- <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into our Bible study. Yeah, dude. James chapter 2 and verse 20 is the next verse that we're going to. James chapter 2 and verse 20, as we look at the relationship between faith and works. And I just want to emphasize uh, what we spoke about before. You know, I come across some people and they believe that all women should wear long hair with long skirts and long sleeves. Amen. And uh, there are others who don't believe that. Mm. And others who don't believe that look at, oh, that's salvation by works. It could be. But maybe it isn't because what it comes down to is why do you do what you do? Do you do that to bring glory and honor to God because you love God and because you've received salvation? Or are you doing that to be saved? Mm. If you're doing that as a requirement of salvation, you're lost. That's mm. that's salvation by works. Yeah. If you're doing that because that's how you honor God, because that's your way of honoring God, because he gave his life for you and saved you, that's not salvation by works. That's just a, just a love response to God. And at the same time, there are a bunch of people who believe that um, we can't be saved by the law. Um, but at the same time, it's like the standard of worship at church has to be a big band with electric guitars and all these different things. Like, you know, they have to have the highest level of budget, the highest level of media, da 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 because that is what they believe is apparently, like, that's what you have to do mm. to have an authentic church experience. Yeah. And that is also and they salvation dis- by works. They feel, exactly, because they feel dissatisfied <laughs> and haven't had a worship experience when they go to a small church with 20 people in it where they are struggling to find someone who can bang out a bit of a tune on the piano. Yeah, that's right. And, and so the, the reality is, is whatever standard you hold up to God, whether it be even in the standard of, oh, no one should be saved by the law, when you hold up those standards to be saved, that's salvation, salvation by works. Salvation by works. And so, and and but that's not saying that God doesn't have a standard. The standard is repentance. Yes. But then, you know, through repentance and through love for Him and salvation, He calls us to the law. You know, Absolutely it's powerful. All right, let's go to James chapter two and verse twenty. Is our next verse that we're going to look at here this morning? James chapter two and verse twenty. The Bible says, "How foolish." Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? <laughs> it's like James. He just he's a simple guy. Yeah. He just says it. Mm. It's like we've been, you know, Paul Paul spends Paul would spend three chapters to say that. Oh, so true. James is uses, he'd be like, uh, he'd be like what, yeah, we so- eight words. <laughs> is it, faith Paul, without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Oh, five words. Dude, we like Paul would be like, and we see in the faith of our father Abraham, and would like do this big long service, and how that you know translated into the ministry of Jesus, and how that applies to the church today, and then ultimately say this. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> James is like, um, 
Basically, that you're silly. Down. No, but yeah, literally, <laughs> how foolish. That's how. Yeah, you're so silly. He, he roasts them yeah. to bring. He's like, you're dumb. <laughs> Faith without works is dead. Like Romans chapter six, verse eleven and twelve. Let's mm-hmm. head over there. By the way, Christopher uh, Raphael thinks your joke is an awesome joke. <laughs> well, <laughs> Men chapter, of bad taste. Romans chapter six. Romans saying. chapter six. Yep. Verse 11. Romans chapter and 6 and verse 11 and 12. It says, So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. It's pretty simple stuff right here. Mm. The Bible says that when you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you don't want to sin. That's right. In other words, when you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you want to obey the law. Wow. So if you've given your life to Jesus Christ and you don't want to obey the law, is there a problem? It seems there's so. A major, there's a major problem. Yeah. Maybe you are in that category that the Bible describes as being the foolish virgins. Maybe you're in that category of the seed that fell on thorny or stony ground. Mm. It puts down its roots, starts to grow, and then gets choked out. Mm. So do works have a relationship, have a connection with our salvation? Absolutely they do. You cannot be saved by your works. Mm. But your works can demonstrate your lostness. That's right. Definitely. And really that's what works are. Works are a symptom. They're either a symptom of salvation or a symptom of lostness. And the reality is like the reason um, the Bible says by your fruits you'll know them is because it it has a massive effect. And and here as well, like, do not let your sin control the way you live. I, I think it's so interesting that people, like Christians, would make the case that, like, oh no, God has saved us from sin. Even if we're sin, if we sin, we're good. But that's not what this verse is saying. Like, it's it's not saying, oh, sin has you know, like, no power over you, and you just don't even have to think about it. And even if you sin, you're good. It's like, no, no, don't. Run away from sinful desires. Yes, that's what it's saying. Like, and and that would assume that implicates that sinful desires, even post your conversion experience, still exist and are still strong. Yep, hundred percent. And still want to drag you down and do that's right. terrible things. And it's like get away from them. Stay that's as far away as you possibly like, can. This is this is bad. So again, I think this is just really supporting the point that we're trying to make. That hey, no sin still exists. The law still exists, and God wants us to have an incredible relationship with him that will lead us to keep it because, dude, we'll just be better people. We'll be, like, just better, like, first off, like, a citizen of a country who doesn't steal or lie or cheat or kill people is a great citizen. But think about, like, the great that we can do in our relationships, um, in our witness. You know, if we are known as upstanding people, it's like... It's pretty. I, I love what you said before. It's pretty simple stuff. It is. It's very simple stuff. If we go back to the example of the uh, that we're looking at, where they end up dancing around the golden calf and so forth, you know, God um, comes in with some pretty severe punishments at this particular time, and a bunch right. of them die. That's mm. pretty full on, don't you think? Yeah. But then think about what these people went through. You know, they had been there where God took them through the Red Sea. You know, they have seen the power of God. They have heard the voice of God. They have seen God giving the Ten Commandments. They have literally heard him with their own ears speak the Ten Commandments to them. Mm. And with great privilege comes great responsibility. That's right. And so they've experienced so much more than what any of us have. 
and so there is so much more greater responsibility and to fail so quickly after that it just shows the nature of sin and that no one is immune from temptation you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different That was one clear voice with I'm trying to be like Jesus. Guys, we have a winner for the quiz. Shout out, Danny. That's two quizzes today, one and done. So fantastic. Me and Lila are on an even tally right now. We should tally this for the month, actually. Oh, we should. We should. So yes. right now we're, we're one all. The we listeners are. are also, you know, coming along for the ride as well. So shout out, Danny. Great work um, getting that quiz right. But right now it is time for... Question of the day. All right. So we've got a question that's coming here from Cheryl. Yes. And it reads like this quite long. Here we go. I have a question for you. Like, have you ever considered that the time on earth since creation has represented the creation week? Second Peter 3 and verse 8 is an example of this. If, um, if it is so, we are in the time that represents the the preparation day, the sixth day, the thousand years in heaven will be a Sabbath, giving the whole planet a Sabbath rest. This is just me trying to fathom why we would go to heaven for a thousand years, and it seems to be the only explanation. What do you think? Okay, so there's a bunch of different things that come into this question. We could probably spend a number of Bible studies on it. But first of all, let's look at the concept of 6,000 years plus 1,000 years. And if we go over to Second Peter, we'll read the passage over there. Uh, and, and, and this is not in any way prescriptive at all. But the Bible says uh, in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Mm. And so people look at the seven-day week. You've got six days of work and one day of rest, being the Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath. And they say, well, the earth is about 6,000 years old. We are clearly living in the last days, and we know that we're going to have a thousand years in heaven after the return of Jesus Christ. And so it makes us makes sense that you've got 6,000 years of sin followed by 1,000 years of rest in heaven. Now, the Bible does not say this in any place, uh, but it is no question, it is implied because, for instance, if you look at the agricultural system of the uh, the, the, the Hebrew Jewish uh, calendar, you would work your land for six years. Mm. And on the seventh year, you would not touch your land. You would just let it lie and restore itself uh, for that seventh year. So you'd let the land rest for a year. And so you're going to find this principle pops up from time to time uh, throughout the Bible. This is a system that God works on. And so a lot of people have drawn the parallel between that. And as a result of that, there have been a lot of dates that have been set. And so if you look at Usher's chronology, I think he put the year uh, 6,000, I think it was in 1995. And so there were a number of preachers that I knew that preached that Jesus would come back in 1994 because he would cut the work short in righteousness. Then, of course, you know, there were those who said, well, it's into the year 2000. I think think that to pinpoint it that accurately is going a little bit too far. The reality is that we cannot pinpoint accurately when our world started. We know that we are about 6,000 years old. And we know that uh, Jesus is coming soon. These are two things that we do know. We know that our world is about... 
about 6,000 years old, and we know that Jesus is coming soon. Now, of course, the efforts to calculate exactly when the year 6,000 comes up never cease. Mm. I think there has, you know, in the last uh, 30 years, there has not been a year that has not been named as the 6,000th year, and you'll have all of this evidence for it and people trying to make these fancy calculations and going through chronologies and histories and so forth to try and figure out exactly which is the 6,000th year. Well, you can't calculate that. We don't know. Mm -hmm. And so does the Bible say this? No. Is it relevant? I believe so. Can we preach it? No, because the Bible doesn't say it. Can we look at it and go, that's an interesting observation? Absolutely we can. Can we recognize the signs of the times and know that Jesus is coming soon? No question. Yes. So that's sort of the big picture. The next part of that question really delves into why do we have a thousand-year millennium? And that's a really big subject. In fact, that's a you know the purpose for the millennium because God does nothing without a purpose. And maybe what we'll do is we can save that question for next week. Uh, we will simply add it to our question of the day. We will come back to it next week. What is the purpose? Why, do, why does it actually happen? Is it just so that we can have a thousand years of rest or are there going to be other things that take place during that period that are critical to the character of God and the great controversy? This is Will Morrison with The Lion and the Lamb. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.